Radio TFS number eight, where we talk about version control basics. We've been off for a while, but we're back. I'm Mickey Gousset. I'm one of your three hosts, along with Martin Woodward. Hey, Martin. Hello there. And Paul Hacker. Hey, Paul. Hey, Mickey Martin. We have kind of took a couple of months off, but we're trying to get back in the swing of things. So we start, we thought we'd kick off a podcast on just talking about the version control basics. But before we do that, I want to get caught back up with Paul and Martin just to see what they've got going on, what they've been doing, that kind of thing. So, Paul, what's going on in your neck of the woods? Well, I've been I've been a little bit busy. I'm, uh, you know, of course, with work, and then I've been doing some presentations and getting ready for some presentations inside um, uh, one of the companies here locally in Indianapolis, which is a really large company. They do a mini tech ed. And so I've been asked, um, I'm the only outside consultant asked to come in and do uh, two sessions, one on database professional and one on developer edition of TFS. So I'm really excited about that. I've been getting ready for that. And I've been selected to speak at Indie Tech Fest in October. So I'm getting ready for that. I'm going to be doing uh, two sessions there again. And so I'm just getting ready for things like that. Plus uh, this month, August, we're coming up on our one-year anniversary for Indie TFS, the user group in Indianapolis. So we're going to have a celebration, a one-year celebration, and we're going to talk about TFS extensibility and the direction of the group. And then I'm getting ready to publish this week um, a new edition of TFS Times. Wonderful. Sounds like you've been really busy. What about yourself, Martin? Oh, uh, yeah, been pretty busy myself too. I was just looking actually. The last episode we uh, published, we published kind of at the end of June, which if you class it as our July episode, because we'd already had one in June. Then uh, you know we're not doing too bad. We'll have one a month, so we shouldn't beat ourselves too up too much. Not that it, not one every couple of weeks like we hope, but you know, never mind. Um, yeah, I've uh, so what, I've I've actually been a bit poorly. I've been um, in and out of hospital a couple of times. Nothing serious, eminently fixable with some surgery and stuff. But uh, that's I've been uh, sort of that's why if if people have emailed me, it's taken me a while to get get through to them. Um, and then in between hospital trips, I've um, we we shipped uh, Team Prize three one, and then apart from that. Uh, just doing a bit of blogging and uh, getting back on top of work after being in hospital. So uh, um, if you go, do you guys watch um, This Week in Channel 9? Off, off and on. I don't always catch, catch all the Channel 9 stuff, but I do try to catch some of it. Yeah, well, but This Week in Channel 9 is, uh, is a good... Um, it can be, well, it can be a podcast as well. We've now done an RSS feed, so you can actually subscribe to it. Um, in iTunes or Zoom or whatever, your favorite podcast client, and then you just get it automatically so you don't have to miss one. Um, and Brian Keller, who we all know from you know the team system work, he's one of the hosts on it, so uh, it's always good. Anyway, they featured, um, you know, you remember a while ago I did a post about Brian the Build Bunny, and, you know, I'd hooked yes. up my... Yeah, well, uh, they did a post about that, and then recently I did another blog post, which was the code behind Brian the Build Bunny, you know, just giving you a tutorial. And again, that got featured again, so it's always nice to see a little spike in traffic on the old blog, which, uh, which is com. as a bit of a shameless self-promotion. <laughs> yeah, let's, let's plug a couple of blogs real quick here. We've got our Radio TFS site, which is www.radiotfs.com. You can reach us at radiotfs at gmail.com. You've got Martin's site, which, as he plugged, was www.woodwardweb.com. You've got Paul's site, which is tfstimes.com. And then you've got my site, which is teamsystemrocks.com. Did that hit most of them? I think that's everything. I think so, yes. So about you, Mickey, <laughs> you've been busy? I've been I've, just a little bit. I, you know, I spoke at TechEd, and, and, and that went great. I had a great time doing that back in, in June. I've actually 
just hooked on to start writing or co-writing a column at Visual Studio Magazine's website. Jeff Ooh. Levinson, who's another Team System MVP, um, writes the the online column inside VSTS, which is all about Team Team System, and through through him, he was gracious enough to to hook me up talking to the people at at Visual Studio Magazine, and so now I'm going to be be helping him write that column. We're going to kind of trade off back and forth if each of us writing writing an article for it. So I'm looking forward to that. That's going to start up here hopefully in the next month or so. So that's that's going to be fun. I've never I've never done done short column work like that. So it'll it'll be it'll be interesting. I've already mapped out like ten ideas I want to write about. So overall, it should be a good time. Um, they're still floating around in the air potential book ideas that I can't comment on more than that because I don't know for sure nothing's firm yet. And other than that, I've been just trying to keep up with Team System Rocks. I'm actually in the process on my computer here of trying to upgrade the site. So I'm hoping to have a, a grand unveiling in the next month or two with a with the site upgraded with hopefully a new logo because I've got a logo competition going on. If you go to Team System Rocks and, and look for the blog post, I'm actually giving away a copy of, of Visual Studio Team Suite with a year's worth of MSDM Premium for anybody that can make me the best logo for the Team System Rocks website. So I would wow. love for, for people to send out some some ideas. That's a great there. prize. That's worth what's that? What's that? That's worth about ten thousand dollars, isn't it? Just a, just I about. I think it's like fifteen. Wow! Oh yeah, because wow. it's a full Team Suite. Team Suite, Big yeah. That is a great but prize. I, I, I'm I am graphically. I can't do graphics. Let's put it that way. So it, it would be great for for some people to send me some ideas. So and hey, not a lot of people enter these competitions. So even if you are graphically challenged, send me an idea because it's probably better than what I can do, and you stand a pretty good chance of winning. So there's my plug. I'll quit plugging my site. Definitely now. worth it for yeah. As I say, fifteen fifteen grand's worth of kit. It's definitely worth a go. If you want some more details, you can email email us at radiotfs at gmail.com. I'll be glad to send you any kind of details. So before we start talking about version control, is there any any other team system news or anything that's been in, as far as team system related that we need to let our listeners know about? Um, there was a new think. version of the um, Atree Sidekicks came out just recently. Uh, so ah. what's that? Um, Shrinkster.com slash 10w9. Um, Eugene and the guys at Atrice have um, just done version 2.2 of the Team Foundation Psychics, and anybody who doesn't use them should be using them if they're listening to this podcast. They're great graphical tools for helping you talk to Team Foundation. Oh, I read about that. There were there was a new one for like doing permissions. Yeah. Right. yeah. <laughs> Funnily enough, we might talk about that today. And also, I believe that the July... Team Foundation Server 2008 July Power Tools have come out since last time we recorded. I was just checking that was public as well. <laughs> I'm pretty sure it has. Yes, they are available now publicly. So, and they're great. There's lots of um, there's lots of good stuff in there. We t- we did a podcast about that, so people can actually get hold of them now publicly, and and it's That's the right. full version. One thing I just wanted to quickly mention about the Power Tools that we didn't mention last time we talked about them. Um, in the final released version, there's a great new um, alerts editor they've added in. Which makes it really easy to, uh, you know, subscribe to custom versions of of the alerts either by email or or signing up web services to them, and you can just play with filters and all sorts of things. It's really neat. So, had a quick play with that last week and thought it was very good, and it's something we didn't talk about when we did the podcast. And I've hopefully we'll have some screencasts coming to Team System Rocks in the in the near future with looking at the different power tools. So, we'll see. Cool. And one last thing that I want to plug is a um. I created a control for visual or for, for doing um, TFS extensibility. I don't know if That's you guys right. have seen that at all, 
But um, it's actually how many times do we write a do we write a piece, you know, write some kind of extensibility piece, and we're connecting to a team foundation server, and we're selecting a project, or maybe not, and we're rewriting that over and over again. So I created a control that will give you the option whether or not you want to select projects. Let's just select a source uh, control server to work with. And through eventing, you can actually, you know, get back all the information you need about the, the project and the server you're working with. And then you just drop it on your form and you run with it. And Sweet. So just, yeah, yeah. It's on CodePlex. So it's, um, it's CodePlex.com slash TFS selector. And, um, you know, check it out. See, and the source code's up there and, and the uh, binaries and everything. So uh, you can work with the library that way. So let's talk about some version control. So who wants to just jump in there and tell us briefly about t team Foundation Server's version control system. How about you, Paul? Um, sure. Yeah. It's well. It's not VSS. <laughs> you know, I get I get that a lot. Um, is it well? VSS does this or it does that? You know, and and is this just like VSS? And you know, the answer is no. Um, for those that aren't familiar with the version control system in Team Foundation Server, it's a completely rewritten enterprise level version control system that uses SQL Server 2005 on the back end. And it does, uh, it, it does work very, very well. It's very efficient. The way in which it works that is very efficient. Uh, we won't get into all that today, but, the, but from the basics, it does all the things I would expect out of an enterprise-level version control system. It allows me to do check-ins, check-outs, locks, labels, branches, merges, and those types of things. So to me, those are, those are really important. The ability to go back and look at history very easily through, through the UI. Um, again, and there are some command line tools that allow me to do some things that are not necessarily easy to do in the UI too. So, um, but but I find the version control system to be, you know, like I say, very effective, very efficient, uh, very easy to work with. So, Martin, I have a question for you because I know you have a lot of experience with like different open source stuff. Yeah. So how does how does this relate to say some of the open source version control systems that are out there? For people who are looking at stuff, it's it's obviously as Paul said, it's not it's not source safe. It's it's a modern system built from the ground up. It's more like um, subversion than source safe in terms of functionality. I say more like just because uh, Team Foundation Server has this notion of atomic check-ins, which we'll, we'll talk about later. Let's we'll talk about chain sets in a, in a minute. But um, yeah, it has this notion. But it but it actually and it works using. Um, Copy, modify, merge model is is, and that's the model that Subversion would use as well. Whereas you know, in Source Safe and thing and PVCS and you know old, older version control systems like that, when talking to Source Control, what you do is you lock a file on the server, then you edit it, and then you unlock the file when you check it back in again, and nobody else can do anything while that file's locked. By default, um, and how it works is TFS uses the copy copy modify merge model where you download a copy of a source code and then you can edit it on your on your system before submitting it to the server and you don't need to lock the file at any point in time you can optionally lock the files um, and the system does that automatically for you on binary files for example like word documents and stuff uh, that you might want to you know that, you, that merging them is going to be problematic but by default it doesn't lock them which is a good thing uh, which so we can you, argue about so later so what you're saying 
So what you're saying is then that, that two different people can be working on the same file at the same time. Exactly, which is very important for things like um, CS proj files. You know, how many times when you're working using SourceSafe or something like that, uh, you needed to add a file to a project, which meant you needed to check out the CS proj file or the VB proj file or something. But you couldn't do that because somebody else was in the process of adding a file to the same project. And in the old way, if you're locking files, you know, not working on them concurrently, then, t- you know, two people can't do that at the same time. And so it ends up that people hack it and they go under the covers and they'll set a file read-write on their local file system, you know, modify the CS proj file locally. Um, and then when they go and check in and add their file, they forget that they haven't, you know, they haven't actually checked out this CS proj file. And so often people miss files getting checked back in again. So, yeah, two people can edit a file at the same time. Very handy so, feature. So, Paul, let me ask you. So, I'm editing a file, and Martin's editing the file at the same time. I go to check my file in. When Martin goes to check his file in, isn't he just going to overwrite what I did, and I'm going to lose all my changes? Well, no. Um, there's there's a couple uh, different scenarios that could happen there. One is that you and Martin are working on the same file, which we're calling the, the um, mutual checkout functionality, where both of you are working on the same file. But you may be working on different pieces of that same file. So you're working on method A and Martin's working on method B. When you, when you check yours in, yours being the first one, it just goes in and there's not really an issue. When Martin goes to check his in, it's actually going to merge his changes into that file. Since you both were working on different areas of it, the merge should go pretty easy and it should just merge in seamlessly and you wouldn't have a problem. What could also happen though is that you and Martin happen to be working on the same method. For example, you're both working on method A and you check in first, well, then Martin goes to check in, and there could become a conflict um, because you were working on the exact same lines and the same method and all that. And so what will happen is a conflict resolution screen will, be, will, will uh, prompt the user to, to take some action. Um, and some of those actions are to, one, look through the changes and see do I want to merge the changes. Two is to just keep all my changes and overwrite yours, which could be dangerous if if you're, you know, if you're both working on some new stuff. Uh, one, the other one is to uh, keep your changes, for example, Mickey, and Len Martin will get rid of his, which, again, is not ideal either. So there's a couple different scenarios there. The one being that I would um, always push people to do, though, is to make sure you don't just try to auto-merge all because it could come back, keep having errors. And so when, when you're getting these conflicts, Take the time to look at where the conflicts are and make sure you're resolving them correctly. Sometimes it means knocking on the other developer's cube and saying, hey, you know, um, I see we have a conflict here and I'm not really quite sure what to do here. Before I check this in and wipe something out, let's, let's make sure I'm doing the right thing. Um, so that's how, that, those are the different scenarios that, that could be handled there. Cool. I would say cool. that the, um, you know, with the merge thing, you are, you know, you're trusting other people on your team to merge their changes into yours, which you, know, you kind of need to be able to do that because that's what we would have had it done anyway, you know, had you not checked out the file at the same time that they checked it out later. But um, I use auto-merge a lot, but what I, uh, with Team Foundation Server, you remember I mentioned it talked about atomic check-ins, you know, so it builds up this set of changes, a change set of things that need to do in source control. If you go to check in your 10 files and you find one of them has a conflict, um, it doesn't actually check in any of those 10 files at this point. You know, it says, oh, you've got a conflict on this one file. Resolve it. And then you can do what I often do is hit auto merge, see if that works. Yes, it does. And then I'll right click on the file and I'll say compare with 
latest. So I, I'll compare the file that I just did a merge with the file on the server, you know, the latest version, and see what the merge code did. You know what I mean? Look and look at it in the in a little in a diff view that pops up, and then say, oh yeah, this is what it's done. Is that actually what I wanted to do? Because sometimes when you merge, you might you know it's you've been working on two different things and that's fine but other times it might be when you do the merge actually you'd both kind of fix the same fault with a class in slightly different ways and so even though you did auto merge maybe you didn't want to and you go back but normally auto merges the same so you can yeah by doing this atomic check-in at the, at the point when you've done the merge you still haven't actually checked in any code yet in in your entire transaction so you can now check in if you wanted or if you're not sure you can use the shelving feature which is a a unique feature in Team Foundation Server's source control, where you can actually shelve your change. You can put it on, save it on the server um, as a shelf set, and that doesn't actually commit it into the full main line of code yet. And then you can ring the other developer who might be in a different time zone, you know, working in India or somewhere, and say, "Hey, uh, I've done the merge. I'm not sure about it. Can you take a look at my shelf set? You know, merge candidate for Martin." and go look at it and see if you think I've done this correctly. If I have, then can you check it in, please? Well, let me let me jump in here, because I want to go back and talk about change sets and, and atomic check-in a little bit. I'm going to throw this out to, to one of y'all. One of the things that I've seen with people that come from using other version control systems is the the way that Team Foundation Server uses change sets and that kind of thing confuses them, because they, they go looking at... They go to the version control system expecting to, to easily look at, you know, see all the different changes to a particular file. And then they see, like, well, this file was modified and changed at 3 and then changed at 8 and then changed at 15. So who wants to tackle the real quickly explaining, you know, what a change set is and how the check-in the check-in process works? Checking out is pretty, pretty easy. You can either right-click on the file and check out. And if you're working in Visual Studio and you're solutioning your project or already in Team Foundation Server, when you go to make a change, it automatically checks that file out for you. But the, the check-in process, just it kind of explaining a little more what that is and what an atomic check-in is and what a change set is. So who wants to jump mind, in and take that? Do you mind if I jump in on that one? No, go, go for it. How Team Foundation Server works, it's a bit different to say subversion, in that when you check, when you get the latest version of files from the server, all the files are read-only on your local file system. Then when you go to check out the file, the first thing it does is, is it checks with the server, do you have permission to check out the file, and is the file locked by somebody? Um, assuming you do have permission and it's not locked, then it'll say, okay, check out the file, you now can edit the file. When you edit that file, you're editing the version that you got when you did a get latest. That's the first thing that confuses everyone about Team Foundation Server. When you check out the file, it doesn't say, give me the latest version first and then check it out. What you're actually saying is, let me edit the current version I have locally. So point number one. So what you might want to do, actually, is you know, do a lots of get latest. And then before you start work on something, you do a get latest, make sure everything's working, and then you check out the file you want to do. When you, so you've checked out the file, it's now read-write in your local file system. You've made your change. You might have changed a couple of files. You've now got what's called a, a pending change set. Now, I just happen to have in front of me the definition of a change set, <laughs> which is a, uh, a logical container in which Team Foundation store, Server stores everything related to a single check-in operation. So that's a, a lot of words, which means it's a set of changes. Um, but you can think of it as it builds up this big list. And you remember in SourceSafe, 
if you wanted to know what files you had checked out, you had to do that crazy, you know, view, search, blah, 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 and then you'd forget you hadn't done it and you couldn't find them. Whereas in, in TFS, it just shows you in a bit in the pending changes view in the bottom of your Visual Studio or, or whatever, Eclipse, it shows you um, the list of files you have checked out. You also have, with that list of files, a comment associated to it, which is part of the change set. And you have um, work items that you might have associated with that, with that work. So if you're working on a bug, you associate the bug work item with your files that are being changed to fix that bug. And then you've also got check-in notes. So I don't know, some of you, Paul's uh, probably as well, you worked in places where you've got had like crazy naming conventions for comments so rather than um you know because you're working with some like old legacy system somewhere that ha- you have to have like a bug number in there from or or some sort of project code in there or something and you end up doing something like you know id one two three four pipe my actual comment or something like that because you're trying to capture structured data but own- the only place to capture it is in the comment of the check-in Team Foundation Server provides, as part of the change set, a way of capturing that structured data um, in the check-in notes. So who was the code reviewer, for example, as a check-in note? Um, you might want to have, say, if you've got a, using some of a test system like Mercury or something like that, um, you know, what's the Mercury test that needs to get ran as part of this or, you know, something like that. And then finally, you've got check-in policies and they're to do um, their bits of code that run on the client side, which can validate your check-in before you actually can submit it to the server. And they do things like, has a person got a comment associated? Have they got a work item associated? Is the code adhering to our defined coding conventions, you know, running like a, a static code analysis, that sort of thing? All that information is stored in the change set. And then when you submit that to the server, what actually happens is it it uploads, and this is going in probably in a bit too low level detail, but it uploads all the files to do with that change set. And then says, is that all right to the server? And then the server says, oh, you've got a conflict. Or maybe it says, oh, yeah, no, that's okay. And then then it says to the server, okay, commit it. And the server goes, "Mm, is it still okay? Yep, committed. and then, then that change set is now on the server. The thing is, these change set numbers go 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10 on the server, no matter what you check in. So a change set represents a unique point in time on the server for all files, for every part of the file system. So what the weirdness that you, that you alluded to there, Mickey, is if you look at, you know, my file, foobar.txt, and you do right-click and do view history, if you look at the history... What looks like the version numbers goes, you know, 3847 <laughs> in history. And you're like, well, where, where, where did versions 37 to, to 8 disappear to? And actually, they're not there. You know, files are not, file, individual files do not have an individual version number. Changes are tracked by the file and the change set on the server in which they were changed. Does that help? Gotcha. That, yes, that was, a, that was actually a great explanation. Now, Paul, I want to throw something back at you that Martin mentioned earlier, which was this new concept that I don't think is available in other version control systems, but is available in TFS called shelving. So what can you tell me about shelving and, and why I would want to use it? And do you have any examples of situations where I would want to use it? That kind of thing. Sure, yeah. Um, shelving is fantastic. It is not, from my, uh, from what I've seen, and I've used CVS and PCVS and some other source control systems, and I've never seen the concept of shelving. 
What shelving is, is um, the ability for me to check code into the source control repository without actually integrating it into the main line of what I'm working on. So I can take advantage of all the functionality that my um, my TFS version control system offers. You know, putting it up on the data, up in the source controls database, having it backed up with the backup plan. But what it doesn't do is it doesn't integrate with the trunk, so it doesn't break builds. It doesn't get down to anybody else's machine. So um, it's a really nice little segmented world where I can put my stuff, and my stuff sits there, and it's just for me to play with. So it's kind of like my little sandbox on source control. And what, when I would want to use something like this is, well, first, let's talk a little bit more about it. The idea that every developer gets a shelf set, or a shelf, I should say. And on that shelf, they can put as many shelf sets as they want. So the analogy is a book, a bookshelf, a bookcase, and you can put on books and fill up the bookcase. Well, this is a bookcase that just never fills up. I mean, you can keep adding and adding and adding to it. Uh, one of the things you want to do is do some due diligence and clean up after yourself as you're adding things on there and removing things from the shelf. Clean up after yourself. So now that we, we, you have this shelf set, you have this shelf, and you can put these things called shelf sets on them. And what a shelf set is, it's a unit of code that you're working on that you don't want to integrate into the build because you're afraid it might break the build, or because it's not completed functionality, and you don't want to leave it just sitting on your local machine. So you'll take advantage of the shelf. Some some good situations where this comes into play is I'm working with say a new third-party set of controls, a new tool suite. And I want to see how they're going to work with my current application. So rather than just, you know, uh, throwing them on to the, the, to the current project and throwing them up in the source control and all that and, you know, kind of winging it, what I can do is just start to work with them and check that stuff into to my, my shelf. And it gives me my little sandbox to work in. Another reason is, for example, I'm going to go on uh, vacation, for example, and the functionality I'm working on isn't complete yet. So what I have the ability to do is I can actually check it into the shelf and give someone else permission to check it out and complete that work while I'm gone. Uh, another instance is, and this is a really good one where I'm currently working with a client that doesn't take advantage of this and it comes back to haunt them all the time, is when they're done at the end of the day, whether what you were working on is going to break the build or not, you should at least get it up in the shelf, up into a shelf set, you know, so that way you can you can put it up on the shelf and it's gonna get it, you know, take advantage of all the good goodness that TFS version control has to offer, um, but not leaving it on your local machine. Um, so, so those are some instances where um, you'd want to use take advantage of a shelf. Um, the, the the last one is, for example, you have new developers on your team and you want all the developers to follow a coding standard. Okay, so before you're just going to let them just run with it and check code in and, and, and go back later on and find out, you know, that you've got weeks worth of code that doesn't meet standards or needs to be reworked, what you can do is you can actually, with a combination of locking and shelving, you can force a developer to, um, you take away their rights to check code into the main trunk, and that way they're going to be forced to shelve that code. Then you can sit down and have a code review, make sure that they're following all the standards that you have in place, at that point, then check that code into um, source control into the main trunk. So that's another good reason why why you'd want to use it. Sweet, sweet. That's a great description of shelving. Thank you, Paul. Well, there's two other areas I want to talk about since we said this was kind of a version control basics. The first area I want to talk about is workspaces because if you start dealing with the version control system then you're going to encounter this concept of what's called a workspace. So Martin, you want to take us through what a workspace is? Sure. Um, so 
if anyone wants some more detail, I've actually got um, a couple of blog posts up about workspaces I did. So uh, if you go to shrinksler.com slash 10w7, that takes you to uh, the first one, which is Workspace 101. So basically, um, and I've got a definition for this somewhere as well. Let me have a quick look. Uh, I don't think this one's as useful. Oh, no, no, it's not too bad. A workspace is your client-side copy of files and folders on the source control server. That's not actually quite right. Um, the workspace, Paul mentioned that Team Foundation Server, you know, is a brand new system, highly optimized for using over a wide area network. The workspace is one of the ways that the server knows what versions of things you have. So that when you say get latest to the server, it doesn't first need to say like Subversion would do. Well, what versions do you have of everything? It just goes, all right, these are the files you need. It's good and bad because sometimes that's that's actually one of the things that people about TFS. But uh, So the server remembers what versions of everything you have. That's in your workspace. Where it puts them is also in your workspace. You define working folder mappings. So every time, you know, when you're in Source Control Explorer, you right-click and, you know, you don't have something, so it's got grey text. You say, get latest version, and it asks you, first of all, where to put that code on your on your hard disk first time in. You then give it a path, and then it downloads the code onto your hard drive. If you go and you go to uh, Source Control, you know, File, Source Control, Workspaces, or Manage Workspaces, I think it is in Visual Studio. Um, you can then go and have a look at your workspace. Uh, a workspace has a name which has to be unique for every uh, for, for a particular individual, and that sits uh, that gives you all the working folder mappings for your particular workspace. So a couple of things where people get confused is if they um, if they start messing with files on their local file system, you know, like the stuff you used to do have to do with SourceSafe just to be able to work. You might have to set a file as read-write, for instance, uh, and then, you know, the server doesn't know about it because <laughs> you haven't told it through the client. Or if you deleted a file locally, you haven't told the server that I've deleted this file locally. And so if you did a get latest, uh, in the example, say if you've, you've done downloaded everything, you know, you edit a file and you think, oh, I didn't mean to do that. You just delete it locally and then you go back into Visual Studio and say get latest again. It would say all files up to date. And you're like, huh? This, but the file's not there. How can it be up to date? And that's because the server thinks you have that file. You know, According to your workspace, you have that file locally. If you deleted your workspace and started again, then everything would work fine. But an easy way of doing that is you can um, right-click on, on the file and you can say get specific version. And then you can say latest version or specific version. You, know, you can mention, like, a, you know, give me the files at a certain date or whatever. But we're going to say get latest version in this case. And then we're going to tell it to force get of files that are already in workspace, i.e. files that the server already thinks. And also, if, you've been, if you have been playing with things under the hood, and you shouldn't be, but if you have been and you've set some files to read-write when you maybe didn't want to, you can say force get of files that are already read-write, that are already editable. In local works. Does that help? So where is... Where is the workspace, you know, you're defining this mapping, basically, to where yeah. we, pull, we pull down this information from, from T Foundation Server and store it on my local machine. Where, yeah. where, is that mapping kept locally? Is it kept on the server? It's actually kept where? on the server. It, on 
think something um, Subversion that uses um, what well, I don't know what the proper name for turd files is what I would call them, which is a particularly polite name. But you know, um, something like Subversion would have a .svn folder that it stores workspace state in. In terms of in Visual in Team Foundation Server, uh, that state is actually stored on the server. So that's what the server knows what you have locally. I have one more question about workspaces. That refers to this concept called cloaking. Can you tell me what cloaking mm. is and why I might want to use it? It's not a Star Trek thing, but it sounds like it. And I can never spell cloaking either, whenever I need to spell it. But yeah, basically, um, cloaking is uh, when you, when you remember I said earlier, when you do a get latest and it sets up a working folder mapping, it, says, it creates an active working folder mapping. So that says from server path dollar slash something, map that to C colon slash something. Um, and then that will download it. Cloaking means to hide something. For instance, you might want to download all of a team project, apart from you're not particularly interested in, say, there's an assets folder in there that contains, um, you know, Photoshop files from the graphic designer, where you, you, but you want everything else. So rather than setting individual working folder mappings for all the children of, you know, of your team project, you can create one working folder mapping for the parent of that path and then cloak the individual folders under that. Does that make sense? Yes. So basically what you're saying is it allows me to to pull down some information, but then if there are subfolders or things in there that I don't want to grab because they're too yeah. big or they don't apply to me or whatever, I can yeah. make it where those don't come down. So it's yes, a way to, hide, to, yeah. to hide what I don't want, but not make it really complicated to get what I do want. Exactly, and it, and you don't get notified of updates when you do get latest that sort of thing, you know. And then it's actually really useful for doing, um, you know, if, if you're doing a team build and you want to specify. Uh, normally, you want to build when anything in the team project changes or when anything in that part of a team project. Um, so, but you can use the cloaking. I've seen that used most actually in 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 build things because there are parts that you don't need as part of the build. You know, like for instance, Photoshop files or you know or you know original graphic things, and you might not want the build. You might not want the build running when you update those, so you can cloak them from the build server as well, and and then it wouldn't run a build, uh, nor would it download those files, which saves time. Yeah. In two thousand eight, they actually changed the rules a bit about active and cloaked, and you can. It used to be there used to be you know all sorts of restrictions is when things could be done and when things couldn't. Uh, but now it, it's not there so much. You can basically make something an active mapping or a cloaked mapping um, at whatever granularity. You can even do it at the file level. So you could, say, download everything in this folder apart from hide this one or two files underneath. Yeah. You know. So, Paul, do you want to just give some tips as to what you would think for um, how you would structure your source code repository on the server uh, when you, so that it's ready for your first you know, check-in of a solution? First off, let me let me state that there is a great um, guidance available on CodePlex. It's the TFS branching guidance. It's part of the TFS developer's guide. I strongly suggest anybody who's setting up the source control repository for the first time to take a look at that because it goes through some really good scenarios on how to structure your source code and source control. So, for example, if I'm using third-party components, normally how I do mine is I have I create my project and inside my project I create um, a directory called root. And then inside of my root, I have my main. Um, and then inside my main, I put my, I have a source, and that's where my source goes. And then I might have a common, um, where my third party libraries are going to go. Um, I don't, I don't want them all just, everything just stuck into one, one, um, directory up in source control. 
And then I may actually go out and create a dev and a test directory, depending on what I'm doing, where I'll branch to as I do code promotion. So when I think about structuring my source control, I think about how do I want to promote my code? What's my code promotion strategy? And if I don't have one, then let's start to develop one so we can get this structure built before we start checking our source code in. Um, and that's, I think, one of the biggest issues I run into with clients is everybody just kind of starts checking stuff in, you know, and they don't take the time. And then by the time they call upon a consultant to come in to help them, they've gone down this path where um, it's very difficult to go back to where they where they wanted to, where they should have been in the first place. So that's that's what I do. I, I tend to, to look at what my project is, what it contains, and then structure it accordingly. And I always go back to the branching guidance to see what do they suggest in this scenario. Excellent. Excellent. Yeah, that we could do a whole show talking about branching and, and the different ways to do that. In fact, that might not be a bad show topic. I've got one other area that I think we should address before we wrap this podcast up, and that's security. Because security in the version control system is one of the three areas where you can specifically set security permissions. You can set in Team Foundation Server, you can set security permissions at the at the server level and the and the team project level. You can set security in the work item tracking system in, in areas and iterations. And then you can set security in the version control system. So who wants to jump in and talk about security in the version control system? I can start on that. I'm sure Martin has some things he'd like to share. But I would, uh, first off, just let it be known that a lot of people who work with TFS understand that security, when you create a project, needs to be handled in three different areas. In, C in SQL Server, in SharePoint services, and then in TFS itself. So the TFS version control, though, doesn't necessarily need to be modified once you've um, you've set the permissions for Team Foundation Server. So if you add developers to the contributors group, for example, the contributors have permissions associated with them already in source control. So you don't need to go in there and do anything when you're first creating that project. What you do need to do is if you want to manage your permissions differently or you want to add or remove permissions for a certain group or a certain individual, you would have to go into the t into Team Foundation Server's version control system and manage your permissions there. Things like take away locking ability or labeling ability or uh, the ability to undo locks um, to certain groups, things like that. So, for example, when we talked about shelving, we talked about if we had new developers on staff, we wouldn't want them to check in their source code. We only want them to check out. Well, we could set a permission strictly on source control um, if we were managing that user or users individually uh, to um, take away their rights to actually do a check-in, and that's, that's where you would do that. Um, the downside is, though, is that normally you're not managing people as individuals in TFS. You're managing them as um, AD groups or Team Foundation server groups. So the permissions, it's difficult to get down to a granular permission on a per-person basis. It's more of a per-group basis. So, again, a lot of people don't go in and really work, mess around with permissions a lot that I'm aware of um, just because it affects that whole group. I'm sure Martin, though, experiences different things in his environment. Yeah, I mean, we, we um, work on a lot of edge cases around the permission stuff. So one of the really neat things about Team Foundation Server is that if you don't, if you don't have permission to read the file, then um, you can't see it at all. You know, it just doesn't exist when you look at it in version control, which is quite nice in terms of allowing people access to source control, but it can be quite frightening. Um, when you go in and you edit permissions in source control, you do that by right-clicking on the folder or the file and doing properties, um, and then you click on the security tab. Now, 
Um, by default, you inherit permissions from the level above. Um, but if you want to start playing with them and make, you know, say for instance, you want you want your your main line, your trunk, to be um, only editable by a certain subset of people, then you can go in. You can go in and do that. But the first thing you have to do is uncheck this checkbox, which says inherit security settings. Now, a little warning for you all here. This is uh, this is a warning from you know the school of hard knocks. The second, <laughs> I know what you're going to say. <laughs> the second you do that. It actually removes all of the permissions from all of the children, and you have to explicitly go in and allow things. For instance, you have to explicitly go in and make sure you allow project administrators the rights to do everything on that particular child. Because if you don't, you even have to. You even have to allow <laughs> Team Foundation server administrators. Yes, you do. Permission. Sorry. Yeah. 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 Yep. Server administrators permission. And if you didn't, then and you click on OK at this point here, um, you look you cannot see that folder anymore. <laughs> so you can't actually go in and right-click and do properties on that folder anymore to give yourself re-permissions or, or to give yourself some permissions back, which is really, really funny. I'll tell you how to work around that in a second. Um, but yeah, that's where you control all those permissions and do everything. How to work around that, believe it or not, again, from the School of Hard Knocks, is log in as the server admin, as somebody who is an administrator user on that server. And I do this by actually log tend to when I've done it in the past, remote desktop to the team foundation server as somebody who is both a, um, a, an administrator on you know that box on that on that actual physical server as well as in the team foundation server and administrators group, and then magically you can see all the folders so you can right click and give yourself read permissions and check out permissions or or check the inherit security settings box back again as it i i did but yeah as a little uh, little warning for you there don't don't click <laughs> be very careful when playing with security well I think we've hit a pretty good as far as version control basics introducing everyone into the team foundation server version control system talking about some things you should look at some things you should think about anybody have any last minute thoughts they want to put out there can i leave people with a puzzler for you so this is Go for it. it this is um when you understand why this works you understand everything you need to know about workspaces and most of what you need to know about version control with team foundation server a top tip for you is how how do you delete files locally so how do you tell the server i no longer have this version of a, you know this file on my system if you go in, we've said already, if you go in and you delete it on your local file system in Windows Explorer, the server doesn't know about that and still thinks you have it. So how do you do that? What you do is you go into the folder or file you want to delete and you say get specific version and you say change set and then type in change set number one and do get. And then that will delete that folder from your local file system. My question to the listeners is why? If you think you know the answer to Martin's question, email us at radiotfs at gmail.com. And if you send us a successful answer, we'll read your answer on the next Radio TFS podcast. Not only will we read the answer on the next TFS podcast, but I will give that person a Visual Studio Team Suite, just the Team Suite, full license. This is not only but I will give them the uh, Team Suite. I so, say we'll, uh, so we'll pick one person at random from the people that answer because we'll get back a few correct. answers. One person from random. So Paul is now offering up a full copy of Visual Studio Team Suite to whoever sends us the correct answer. So send in your answers. All the correct answers, we'll, we'll pick one at random, and that person, we will read their answer on the air, and they will win that prize. Thank you, Paul. That's excellent. Not a problem. 
All right. Well, I want to thank Paul and Martin for their time today on this edition of Radio TFS. Again, you can find all the podcasts at RadioTFS.com. You can email us at RadioTFS at gmail.com. And the websites you should check out are TFSTimes.com, WoodwardWeb.com, and TeamSystemRocks.com. So this is Mickey Gusein on behalf of Martin Woodward and Paul Hacker. I want to say thank you again, and we'll see you next time around.